Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell. I'm joined, as always, by Matt Williamson. Matt, we're going to have a good one today. We've got one of my favorite guests and one of my favorite, just one of my favorite people in this fantasy football community. We've got Sean Siegel. Sean, how are you doing? Great. It's a lot of fun to be here and uh, really enjoyed the last time I was on. And, and certainly uh, I feel the same way. Obviously, you listen to this podcast, you you love these guys, but having the chance to play with Ryan to be in leagues that he commissions, which a lot of us have that opportunity because he <laughs> does so many of it and, and does it so well. But it's a blast to, to be on here. So I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Absolutely. Sean, I was so ready to talk to you. I skipped right over Matt. We'll give him a chance to say hello, Matt. No, I don't, no we got a beefy show here. No one wants to hear from me. Let's just dig in. All right. So uh, what we're going to do in this episode, and, and we're actually going to follow up the next couple of episodes, at least with the same exact topics, we're talking dynasty team building. So I'm getting some of my uh, my favorite dynasty players, and I'm not talking about Randall Cobb or, or Alvin Kamara. I'm talking about uh, guys like Sean that that we get to compete against that have uh, have really shown off just how strong they are, especially when it comes to strategy. And Sean, of course, you're known really, I would say, for for the strategical part of fantasy football. Is it fair to say you kind of made your mark with that zero RB article years ago? Yeah, certainly. Certainly that's where I think my name is, is often attached and, you know, had the good fortune to have some uh, decent high stakes results at the same time period. And those two things together uh, were helpful and, and certainly uh, writing for Rotoviz and and being associated with some of the great guys on that team, I think, uh, a lot of that kind of goes together there. Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking dynasty team building and Matt mentioned it. We've got a lot to cover today. Uh, We want to, to get right into it. And Sean, we're going to kind of attack this mostly from, from a perspective of looking at the calendar right now, we're in uh, spring, summer, lots of people doing dynasty startup drafts. I know you've done, uh, you've done at least a couple this off season. So let's let's just start with the big question. You're in a, a one quarterback dynasty startup. What's your general draft strategy in that league? Well, I use something that I call perpetual reloading. And that I think can start and needs to start right from the beginning with that startup draft where I try to exit the draft with a young team, but a team that I still believe has the necessary firepower to win in year one. But I'm also looking to have the team that's going to have the most total trade value gain from year one to year two. Obviously, if your team is gaining in trade value, that's probably a good sign that the team performed fairly well. But it's also something where that gives you just so much flexibility for what you are going to try and do then in the future. And as we all know in Dynasty, especially as you start to move several years into the future, you're going to need a team that is better than the best possible redraft team. And certainly it's not that the best team always wins. There'll be some teams that come through that maybe aren't as good as some of those great redraft teams. But in terms of putting yourself in that position to get a first round buy consistently year after year, you're going to need to have a very good team. So you're going to need to have a team that really grows in value. And you know that can be a little bit tricky. It can be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes to have a team where you are trying, you're not just tanking the first couple of seasons, but it's a very young team. 
one of the things that I think has made that a little bit more comfortable for me is that my redraft teams, my high stakes teams often look like they're maybe say rebuilding dynasty teams. And so I have a lot of experience and maybe a little more comfort than some people would have with teams that are very young. Sean, that's something we haven't talked about much since we've been doing this podcast. And I'm glad you brought it up because a strong dynasty team doesn't really look like a strong redraft team. It doesn't necessarily. And it's going to have uh, potentially, you know, one, if not multiple of those big time running backs. Certainly you're going to have four or five, six wide receivers who are in that either peak sort of aspect of their career or even you know, before that, ideally some 23, 24, 25 year old wide receivers who are stars, you're likely going to have a decent starting quarterback. And then you're going to have one of those star tight ends. And so to get there, you're going to have to plot out some sort of path to where it's possible. Now, obviously you're competing against 11 other players. In many cases, those other owners are very, very good and they've got their own tactics in place. They've got uh, things they can do to block you, but you need to at least have some sort of game plan that will get you to that elite team. Yeah. And just to harp on that, I mean, I'm sure all three of us and many, many of our listeners have three or four players on one of their respective dynasty teams. That'll be first round picks in every redraft league this year. Definitely. And that's what you have to have to, you know, really have that kind of success that you're looking for. Sean, I love the perpetual reloading idea. Um, how would you say that that strategy has changed over the years? Do you feel like you've kind of refined things or have you totally shifted gears? We know the NFL is changing. Do you change with it or how does that work for you? I think it's it's maybe a little bit more an element of refining it or certainly taking ideas that you've had, taking ideas that Brian Malone has had, trying to figure out how you can put those into teams that maybe would win right away, how you can meld some of the ideas to, again, create that future team. You know, we're going to talk here in a second about some changes maybe positionally and maybe how your tactics would change within drafts. I think more than the general idea changing is that there might be some shifts in terms of specifically what you need to do, maybe more tactically than strategically uh, based on how the NFL is changing now. And again, we, we're talking one quarterback dynasty startups. Uh, I, I know, at least in the leagues I'm playing in, I'm not really considering joining an, a new one quarterback league. I'm, I'm looking for those super flex leagues. Sean, I think, I think I could probably speak for you and say that you're likely doing the same. So when you're looking at a different format, whether it's super flex, tight end premium, uh, maybe some enhanced uh, running back scoring, how much does that affect you? affect your strategy it's definitely going to play a pretty big role and, and you mentioned superflex. i think that's what almost everyone is looking at now when you're doing one of those startups and you're looking at player value in the first several rounds the startup is just not very fair if it's a one qb league that top half of the first round and certainly if you're not doing third round reversal you know then having that early third round pick as well uh, those teams in the top half have such a large advantage Superflex adds in so many different things tactically, and it also, you know, brings the quarterbacks back into play. And, and how you could not want to be in an environment where quarterbacks matter, because I mean they matter so much in the in real football. And it's so fun to root for, you know, players like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. If you're in a league where, even though those guys are still going to help you win, where they're marginalized a little bit, that's that's not nearly as much fun. And so whether it's Superflex, tight end premium. Certainly, you want to really study your league maybe 
more than you even want to worry about players because we all have a sort of a sense of where we are in terms of the strategies we like, the types of players we like, our player rankings. We're probably not going to mess those up too badly in a draft. But if you go in and don't understand, certainly, for example, an auction format, the Kitchen Sink League, some of the other, one of the other uh, startups I did recently was an auction. And those are very, very different. If you're not prepared for that, then I mean, you can fall behind multiple years uh, just by not executing that original auction properly. Sean, do you, th- do you find that's one of the most common mistakes? Because I know I've made it, especially early in my dynasty career, where I don't, I didn't put enough emphasis on that specific league rules, you know, where you can really find gems to score more points. And I just focused on my guys like it was any other draft. I think that's definitely the case. And certainly if you go into an auction, you you do need to understand uh, how the players are going to be valued, where the values are likely to come in within that auction. In some ways, the slow auctions can be much more challenging than live auctions because you have to be looking deep into the future. You have to have a sense of what the clock is going to do. And those, the tight end premium elements of things too. If you can start, you know, two, three, four tight ends and the tight ends are not expensive, then you can get a big advantage there. So under this understanding, those kinds of things, I think, yeah, is, is very, very fundamental. Sean, we've dipped into the position talk a little bit. So let's, let's kind of dive head first here. When you're team building, when you're drafting, what is your general game plan when it comes to specific positions? And and this is really, I talked about the NFL changing. I know you remember three, four, five years ago, everyone was building around wide receivers. And now it seems we've completely shifted to running backs uh, returning to the the primarily valued assets in, in early in the draft. Um so let's let's stick with Superflex. Uh, from a Superflex standpoint, what does your position game plan look like in a startup? Yeah, so certainly if you can get uh, some of those very top guys, I would want to have one of the top wide receivers. But I think when you're looking at that first round, especially for me, and this will be the one area I think where things have changed for me, where there were certainly time periods where a very sort of clear-cut zero running back approach was going to give you the best foundation. You were going to be in the best situation to have a team that would grow in value, that would be very consistent, that had a very high floor. I think you're just wanting to do things subtly different now. And you mentioned that wide receivers were very expensive. I mean, there have even been in leagues, some kitchen sink leagues, for example, where the wide receivers were so expensive and the running backs were so cheap that I built around some running backs, which obviously was a little bit of a shift for me there. Right now, what I'd like to do is to have one of those stud running backs to be sort of an anchor, right? Because that gives you the one high scoring player who, if he doesn't get hurt, puts your team in position to be competitive weekly. It also creates the situation where you have a lot of flexibility going forward, right? Then you can attack wherever else you want because you have that one guy to go back on. And you're almost certainly then going to attack with wide receiver. It's going to be wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. However, the one other thing that I do always like to have in a dynasty league, because I like to have those starting positions with stars, I want to have a foundation tight end. A lot of the existing leagues, 
I'll have Travis Kelsey, but certainly in startups, I think that means George Kittle. It means Mark Andrews. And then perhaps if you miss on those guys, obviously they're going to be expensive. You're going to have to pay up for them. Maybe you try and stack, say, a Hunter Henry and a TJ Hawkinson, have that opportunity for at least one, and hopefully both of those guys to move into that type of range. What I think is kind of interesting about tight ends is you mentioned Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, uh, and maybe even Ertz. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but when any of those guys came out in their respective rookie draft, they weren't super high picks. You know, like if you can be patient on Gasecki, Johnny Smith, I don't know. There's a long list of those guys. Maybe they pay off down the road and become the next Mark Andrews. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point as well, and, and kind of goes to what Sean was saying. If you do miss out on those yeah. established stars, taking multiple shots on the next tier or even the next couple of tiers, and trying to find that next guy, then uh, yeah, absolutely. So, Sean, one stud running back as your anchor, you mentioned that would give you the flexibility to to really go after and, and attack that wide receiver position. What about quarterback in a super flex? I've, I've seen many, and, and this is kind of true of, of myself as well, whether you're normally building around running backs or wide receivers, that shifts to the quarterback position uh, as, as kind of the anchor position in a super flex. Is that your plan or are you, are you targeting volume there? I think it depends a little bit, again, on the format. I always like to follow what you do in the kitchen sink leagues and in some of these other ones because you know, have so much experience with it and can see what's happening in all of these different leagues, can see the really high floor that having those multiple quarterbacks will give you. Certainly you and I were in a rookie draft the other day, and you took a couple of the QBs. I was hoping one of those guys would fall uh, to a later slot to me. I think one of the things that, again, is a little bit different, a little bit fun about auctions, perhaps, is you have a chance to get more than one of the early guys if you'd like to build that way. So I did a recent auction where I was able to get both Watson and Murray and then get Dalvin Cook to go with that to get the the running back as well. And then a ton of young wide receivers traded in for wins. This is actually a best ball league where it's super flex. And so you really want to have the three big star quarterbacks in that environment in the drafts where it's so hard to get that many of the studs. I usually find that if the quarterback value is there for me, I want one of those first four or five guys after that. And this, you know, may end up being a huge flaw in some of these plans, but I like to go for the very sort of bottom reliable guys after that and have that be a position, maybe even, of weakness there where you're going to have some young quarterbacks, but the rest of your roster should be so strong. If you then fall into a situation where you can add a quarterback in a rookie draft or those guys develop as starters, then your team is just so much stronger than everybody else's in the other positions because you were willing to wait. But is it safe to say that in super flex at the quarterback position, you're happy hitting singles and doubles, you know, car rivers, those type of guys that you can start every week, they won't hurt you, but they're never going to win you the league. Definitely. And I think it's so much about the cost once you get into the quarterback to Superflex, where if you can get a star, then, and, and certainly if you're in a position where the other top targets are gone, then you definitely want to get that quarterback because it's going to give you that floor and ideally that ceiling. The people I have a hard time paying for are all those guys in the middle rounds 
where the upside really isn't there. And if you get, you know, three, four, five, I was lucky enough to be in one where I ended up taking like six quarterbacks. I was the last person to take one, took the first one in like round 12 or 13, but ended up with five. And after the crazy off season sort of boiled out, almost all of those guys were starters. Now they're not going to be high end starters, but hopefully you can match them up almost the way you would stream quarterbacks in a different type of league. But if you have five or six starters, there's only 32 ish, basically 32 in the league divided by 12 teams. Well, somebody's short, (laughs) you know, obviously you can, those guys can be great trade trip chips for you. Definitely. And also some of those teams, if they're rebuilding, you have some other trade opportunities with those squads as well. So Sean, I'm hearing you say you're probably not going to end up with guys like Daniel Jones or uh, Josh Allen, kind of those low end QB ones. Uh, Is that fair to say? It is. Allen's somebody I like, although in our drafts, you've been hitting him just before I would take him most of the time. Uh, It's maybe even more the guys just after that in the, six, seven, eight, nine round ranges where it's tempting, but you can still get a very exciting young wide receiver in those spots. Is yeah, that so like that's a just two or burrow or burrow's probably higher than that, but like what kind of what kind of quarterbacks are in that neighborhood? Yeah, I think if you're Darnold. looking at anybody below Allen and Wentz, then okay. you're starting to move into that range. Yeah, so so it just goes back to making use of those tiers. You don't want to take uh, you don't want to be the first one to to break that new tier. Certainly. And if you can find the people who fall in any given drafts, I think especially before the NFL draft, Sam Darnold is falling. And while there's a lot of risk there, I mean, he could still end up being a complete bust. But he could be a, in a situation where either this next year or certainly the following year where he, he moves into that sort of Allen Wentz range and you got him for far less than those guys. All right, Sean, let's stick with the dynasty startup strategy. You have you've joined a new league. Uh, the draft day draft day is getting close. What does your preparation look like? Obviously, you've you've got your strategy pretty well refined. You know what you uh, you know what your plan is. So, what are you doing to prepare? Are you are you doing mock drafts? Are you looking at ADP? What are you? What does that process actually look like for you? Yeah, so I, it, it, kind of like we talked about a second ago, I think it comes back for me more to trying to figure out if there are going to be any uh, quirks in the specific format. I mean, we spend so much time through the course of the fall uh, and then the previous fall and then through the season that you've got a really good sense of where you are on players. And so it's more a matter of maybe researching the specific opponents you have, uh, seeing how they like to play things, certainly plotting those trade scenarios because you're going to want to have some of that figured out before you go into the draft. Now, a lot of these drafts are slow drafts and, and there'll be trades where people are on the clock for a long time. You can work through those types of things. But I think you want to know what you might want to do trade-wise before you go into the draft because that perhaps is going to be even more important than what you're going to do player-wise. I want to get into more of that here in a minute, but I first want to tell everyone about Dynasty Owner. I mentioned them a lot. But do you think you're smarter than an NFL GM? Do you think you're the best at fantasy football? Well, here's your chance to prove it. Dynasty Owner is the only patented fantasy sports game using actual NFL salaries and contracts. So you manage your team from all levels, owner to general manager to coach. Dynasty Owner is absolutely for the smart and elite fantasy football player. There's no offseason at Dynasty Owner. The rookie draft matters. Free agency matters. And every contract matters. Come do a startup draft in 2020 using actual NFL player contracts and salaries. 
Then improve your team each year with a three-round rookie draft by, and by trading players and draft picks. Win weekly prizes, seasonal prizes, and compete in the chase for the ring. The mobile app is in development and will be ready to download on iOS or an Android in time for rookie drafts any minute now. So rookie drafts are open now on desktop and mobile browsers. To learn more and mock draft for free, go to www.dynastyowner.com. Uh, Sean, you talked about uh, you, you talked about studying the owners. I, I love that idea. You talked about checking, kind of double checking the format, making sure you're prepared for that, and, and also looking at at possible trade scenarios. Do you ever, or, or do you typically make pre-draft trades of, of moving up and down, or, or do you wait until you're actually until the draft is actually started? I think you end up with more flexibility once the draft is going. One of the things that you see when you're talking about rookie picks and how to trade those is simply that once people are on the clock and they their options now have gotten smaller because certain players have already gone, then they're forced into some different decisions. And they so they usually like to sort of hold that open to get to the spot. You know, won't give up as much beforehand as they will if their players are gone. But certainly if, if people will contact me about trades, I'll – I'll look into those kinds of things. I think when you get your original draft slot, then really everything starts to flow off of that to where perhaps you're looking to move up. If you know one of the people ahead of you likes to move down and likes to move down in a way where they don't charge you a ton. I mean, you have to be very careful about price as you're making all of these moves. Perhaps in more cases, you're going to be looking at different opportunities to move down. If you have multiple players in the same tier, really in a startup draft, uh, you're looking to move down as much as you can without losing players from any particular group that you want to target. Perfect. So when when the draft actually begins, that's when you're uh, that's when you're really focused more on trades. How do you go about executing that strategy? You talked about your plan of perpetually reloading, uh, targeting young players, but those those players that could uh, help you immediately. What does that in draft process look like as far as players you're targeting as well as just your actual physical process. I mean, are you, are you keeping a spreadsheet? Do you have I I would assume you're not just looking at MFL and taking, taking one of those guys that shows up on the, on the top <laughs> screen. Yeah. So depending on how challenging the league is in terms of the format, you know, it, with a super flex format, especially you need to have some very clear tiers because how the quarterbacks are going to come into play is going to affect everything you do. But I'm looking at different groups of young wide receivers almost exclusively through the draft after those first couple of rounds. And so in any given tier, if I can move down, even if you end up moving down a tier or a half tier and you end up with, say, a Tyler Boyd instead of a DJ Chark, maybe you're going to be willing to do that if you can get enough back. Because the main thing that I'm trying to do when I come out of these first 10 rounds is I want to have the most picks of anybody in that draft. So if that means moving down in rounds three, four, five to get more picks in seven, eight, nine. And so my plan is to move down and to move in, right? So I'm going to have to try and pick up value by being willing to move down when others have specific targets that they want. But then I also have to use my future picks to come in, especially when you get into maybe round six, round seven, round eight, and people have run out of their very top guys that they have to have, 
And then they're looking at a future round one and saying, okay, that's more palatable to me than taking maybe a player in this flat area. If I can move in for multiple picks there, especially if it actually will help, maybe even 12, 13, 14, those rounds, that's what I'm trying to do. And ideally in any startup draft, I would have 13 picks in the first 10 rounds. And if you have three extra guys through that first 10 round range, then the amount of extra firepower you have, even if you've moved down a little bit in rounds three, four, five, that gives you just such a huge competitive advantage, both for winning in that first year, but for also having the types of players who are going to gain trade value. One thing I've noticed, and this is much more true for me in rookie drafts, is after I've done some that I try to make some pre-draft moves where it looks like you know, people are all, all everyone always just wants to do is trade up before the draft. But if you find those pockets and you pick up, you know, three or four picks in the neighborhood where you know five guys are going to be there you like, maybe that's the end of the second round. Like in this rookie draft class, I like that area a lot. Or I like having a lot of picks there that I can go jump up and get that guy that is going to inevitably fall. Like, I think that is a great advantage before the draft even starts. Definitely. And I think what you've talked about there with stockpiling those second round picks, I mean, that's absolutely perfect because not only then do you have a lot of picks in a round that is actually going to probably be undervalued, not every year, but certainly it is in 2020, uh, Mm -hmm. big picture, but you can control the draft a lot more. You're actually going to get better value in round two by having that sort of controlling element where you can hit your guys, you can maybe move down. You know that certain other players, certainly if you have different round two targets than some of the other key people in round two, you can end up with tremendous value. When am I ready to strike? You know, you don't, you can, you can control it that way. Sean, you talked a little bit about tiers there. How do you actually go about creating your tiers? Because it's not just your own player rankings. You have to factor in ADP and where these players uh, might go. You kind of have to know, you have to know the market mixed with your own value. So how does, what does that process look like for you? Definitely. So I'm putting together tiers based off of a combination of my belief in the player's value and the trade value, because those are the two things that I'm really looking at. I want to have players that not only I like, but I think are going to hold their value so I can move them from, for somebody else. But then as you're putting together that tier, you also have a sense of targets in different rounds, because even if you have, I mean, you're going to take a little bit of risk, right? That you're going to lose somebody you want. If they usually go later, you're not going to reach for them. You're going to trade down, or maybe you take somebody from a lower tier. If that person you have to take earlier in order to get them. So certainly, like you say, that interplay between value ADP is one you have to focus on when you're looking at how do I pick? How do I trade? How flexible do you, uh, do you find yourself in when when you're in the middle of the of the startup draft so for example you talked about wanting that core running back uh, earlier in the draft and then uh, maybe grabbing a top tight end and then focusing on on wide receivers so what if you're in the second round and you can get another core running back would would you find yourself doing that or do you stick to script There'll certainly be situations because if you could at a decent price get multiple stars, kind of like we were talking uh, Matt early on where that top dynasty team often has just so many guys that the team that I had that had the most success last year, not surprisingly was one that uh, through a series of events has both McCaffrey and Barkley and 
was able to make it into the playoffs. And then finally Barkley scored some points down the stretch that were huge and, and helped that team be very dominant in a startup right now, certainly before he fell to the dolphins. <laughs> I think that if you would add Taylor in addition to one of your first round studs, that would be something that would be very exciting to have that foundation. Also, there will occasionally be guys. I mean, running backs do fall still in dynasty. The, the disconnect right now between redraft values and dynasty values, I think is pretty exploitable in the running backs are wildly overvalued in redraft, but certainly in some leagues, you could even make the, the claim. I think that they're mildly undervalued in dynasty. It depends on your league. Certainly uh, different groups of owners draft that very, very differently. But if someone like a Devin Singletary, for example, falls into the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth round, something that I do see happen, a player like that who's a young guy showed explosive playmaking ability last year, certainly projects for a lot of volume. Now, there are a lot of ways that offense could go. I think you also want to get Zach Moss at his prices anywhere that you can. But if you have a guy like that fall, uh, you shouldn't be afraid to grab him up. Perfect. Let's move on to uh, the rookie draft. Um, so, of course, that's that's another one of the big spring events. Typically, we would see rookies included in the startup draft, but we'll we'll kind of shift perspectives here a little bit. General rookie draft strategy or, or how you deal with those picks. Are you one that collects future picks ahead of time or you trade them away for assets that can help you win now? I tend to trade them all away and try to move all of the value that's possible for your team into the current year. That's going to give you the most powerful overall roster, but sort of, again, keeping with this in some ways, contradictory idea of moving that all into young players. And so even though you've lost this ability to add in the future through those future rookie drafts, you have guys who are gaining in trade value. You can use them, you can play them, and then you can retrade them. And so I try and use veterans, and, and mostly it's young veterans because that's what actually has value. That's what people are willing to buy to get back into the current rookie draft when those drafts happen. Yeah, I remember a trade that we made uh, a few years ago where you basically gave up a lot of future assets for DJ Moore. And that was, uh, that was I believe that was before... Uh, he actually even played. That was his rookie season. Uh, so I acquired him in, in our rookie draft, a rookie auction. Uh, you made a big offer for him. And if I remember correctly, you sold him since, uh, probably for a lot of a lot of uh, rookie assets, I would guess. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I, those were actually two separate leagues, but two leagues that were in together. And it was interesting there hmm. where I did pay right. you a ton for more. And thankfully, he did provide some value. Still on that team, I had a team that you know did very well last season but i felt needed to get some more rookies needed to get some more young players and when i'm sitting there in the middle of the second round and i want lavisca chenault and perhaps that's a terrible pick but he's someone that i'm trying to get there then how do you do that and the only way is to give up something that matters Right. And so my trade partner wanted more. And so then the question is, well, what else do you have to get? Because obviously you've got to get more than just that, you know, to make that move. And so I ended up also getting Paris Campbell, someone who's now pretty inexpensive, but has that ability for his trade value to absolutely explode. Got uh, the pick that ended up being Claypool, someone who probably in any other rookie draft would be going almost around earlier uh, and got Mike Williams, someone who is actually a little bit older than I would prefer, but is again kind of in that range where if he had a decent season, 
his trade value would really blow up. So it ends up being a four for one. And it's a four for one where you could look back on it a year from now and say, DJ Moore is the only guy in that group you would really want. Why did you get rid of a foundation player? But I think you occasionally have to be willing to make some of those moves in order to turn over your roster and keep it young. And if you're only willing to trade 30 year olds, you, you just can't do it because people won't give you the value back. No, I like that a lot. And Ryan, there's something, this brings me a question I have for both of you that I've been wanting to bring up on this podcast for weeks now. It's odd to me, and I think it's just human nature, that if you're you're sitting there at 110 and you're trying to get to 1-7 in a rookie draft, okay, that's very feasible. You make your offers, he says yes or no, you can make it happen. But the second after that owner clicks the thing and grabs Judy or Lamb or whoever, it's like impossible to get Judy or Lamb off the guy. Like as soon, you know what I mean. Like as soon as they become their own, they hug them and squeeze them and don't let them ever leave. Yeah, um, I think I think that's true, and I, I do think it goes it, it goes both ways. I mean, in the in the specific example you're using uh, from from one ten to one seven, maybe we're talking about Justin Jefferson and, and Jerry Judy. When you say I'm, I want to move from one ten to one seven. We just think that's that's a small move up. I I'll take a future second for that or something right, right, you know, right. something like that. But when you put names to it, especially two names that are in for most people in two different tiers, then you're right. It becomes m- much more expensive. Right. He has Jerry Judy, and I'm trying I'm trying to get it back off of him. It's impossible almost. Yeah. Sean, you said you like to generally trade away rookie picks. Uh, but at some point, you're valuing youth, so you, you've got to buy those rookie picks as well. What do you think is the best time to buy those picks? Thinking about this, I, I do think that probably the very best time, if you want to get the very best deal, would be sort of right as the NFL season starts because you're the most time now that has transpired sort of since the last rookie draft. And I think one of the things that you see a little bit is that future picks actually do have quite a bit of value during the rookie draft because people are so excited about rookies at that point. And they're thinking not just, okay, well, these rookies are going to come in and make an impact, but they're already seeing those big stars in their head. You know, the college players right now, they're so good. They're like, well, if I can get that pick next year, that guy will come in and do the same Saquon Barkley-ish sort of thing for me. So they can be a little bit expensive at that time. When you're talking about the very start of the regular season, people are thinking, okay, what do I need for my lineup right now? The last rookie draft was a long way away. The next rookie draft is a long way away. People are not giving it as much value at that point. But the other place where rookie picks are maybe not that expensive is during the draft itself. Once you hit someone who doesn't like the guys who are available at that point. And that's, I think, where you're really trying to want to make those deals to move back in when someone has just had the guy they wanted taken from them. Maybe they've got a flat tier. They're going to move down or they're going to move out entirely. You and I were competing for, I think an early fourth round pick in a draft we did the other day. And I love the player that you got. And so, uh, and the price that you paid there, I thought was, was a great deal. So certainly when you hit that spot where maybe the person has picked the guys they want, it, it can be sort of overlooked how really feasible it is to move into a rookie draft in those sort of situations. It's funny. You're right. I think the time to to really strike and maybe get a pick at 90 cents on the dollar is when it's obvious someone gets picked. The next guy who's now on the clock immediately goes to the message board. This picks for sale. You know, like, damn, I lost my guy. Like, okay, I'll go take yours from you then. 
Sean, I, I think I know the answer to this one, but I, I still want to hear it from you. In in a rookie draft, are you focusing on your team needs? Or are you taking best player available? Almost always in rookie drafts, and and because of what I do, uh, so often to get picks, if it's not a situation like you know the startup we did the other day where that was actually the slot we were picking as opposed to the player. So I ended up with eleven picks in that rookie draft. But in in rookie drafts that have moved sort of into the future, it's almost always a matter of okay, I've got a guy. I want to get, I have to figure out how to move in for him. And so in those situations, it's almost always about the player and not necessarily the position. But certainly as you move through, I mean, there are going to be some times where there are guys that the value doesn't, doesn't really make sense. I think Cole Komet is an interesting guy right now where certainly the fantasy community is not high on him at all, not as high on him as the NFL seem to be. Even if you're not high on him, if you're in a tight end premium league and you're looking mid-second, to mid-third, the risk is very minimal. The upside is huge. And so I think you need to be aware of maybe how you get some of those tight ends. And and like Matt mentioned earlier, and Colin talks about this a lot on our pod, where he really likes to get those tight ends after the first year when people haven't gotten the production and now they're annoyed. That's a, a great time to move in. Certainly, if you can get Hawkinson right now, I think that's a very, very easy move. Certainly he could be a bust, but his price relative to what you would maybe expect his development to be is maybe now cheaper than it was in the original rookie draft. But tight end premium, you know, you want to get those tight end stars. You have to figure out multiple paths to do it. So it sounds like not not necessarily BPA, best player available. You're not just sitting and taking the top guy that's, that's showing up on ADP, but you're targeting specific players and moving around to make sure you get those as you, uh, as you described with Chenault. Definitely. And there, there are always, I think, a handful of guys in any individual draft where you would have them uh, two or three spots higher. Maybe if you're talking about the second round, you would have them four or five spots higher. This is such a fun draft this season because that second round, certainly if you're doing super flex, which pushes the people down uh, to maybe that whole second round, even midway through the third round, very, very loaded. All individual owners have somebody in that range that they probably have six or seven spots higher I think you want to do, even if you end up with teams that have a lot of the same guys and that increases your risk, I think you can diversify in other ways. If you have someone ranked seven or eight spots ahead of where they're going, figure out a way to go ahead and get that guy in almost every league. Sean, in in a rookie draft, and and I think honestly this year, this topic is, is, is so important. In a rookie draft, what do you find yourself prioritizing? that short-term production or what you believe to be long-term value. And essentially this year, because we do have, we've got the five big running backs. We've got the two top wide receivers. Maybe it's, maybe it's three top receivers. If you put Jalen Rager in that group, most people would agree that we're going to see more production from those five running backs, or at least uh, at least some of those running backs uh, versus Jerry Judy and CD lamb. Uh, in in the 2020 season, maybe even in 2021. But if we fast forward, uh, it's going to be those wide receivers, at least I believe, that have uh, have that long term value, become those assets that you can trade away uh, over the next two to three years. So when you've got that early rookie pick, which one weighs more for you, short term production or long term value? This is, I think, always an interesting question and one where there's really a lot to unpack. There might be more than going on than just the, the short-term versus long-term, although that's definitely going on. Uh, but you also have 
this idea of where are we most likely to get those things that will build the team and create that team that we want. So 2020 is crazy because I think you could argue that those top four running backs, certainly we had someone, I think, outside the top four who moved up to number one, right? But those those previously top four running backs all fell into horrible situations, which will hurt them short term. So it, it makes that question trickier. Those top wide receivers that you mentioned also, I think, fell into horrible situations, which makes that entire first round tricky, deep, but full of landmines, makes that second round even more interesting. But maybe outside of 2020, we're looking at a thing where we do want to have some running back stars, right? It's a dynasty team. It's not something where maybe you can do a pure zero running back where you might be able to do and redraft and still end up with easily the best team. You're going to want to have some running back studs. We know those guys need to be young. We know the best place to get them is in the rookie draft. We know that the only time that running backs really gain trade value is from year one to year two. So if you don't have the rookie, then you never get that trade value bump. So you need to have a few of those guys. The best place to get them, I think, is in the first couple of picks. Now, if your team is always in the playoffs, how do you get up there? So that's a that's a tricky question for people, I think, is a playoff team is going to have trouble being in that range where they can get those running backs that you want. But when we're looking at how you would move through a rookie draft and how you would play different positions in a rookie draft, the analysis I did again the other day, uh, kind of just doing a fun one where I redrafted all of the drafts in the last five years. And you wouldn't necessarily expect this to always happen, but the number one pick is pretty consistently still a running back, right? Where those running backs paid off. After that, it gets a lot more complicated. And as you mentioned, the wide receivers seem to move up. They hang on better. People would prefer to have them. And then I think you have a a chance there at some running backs late. So what I would sort of look at doing would be running back in those first couple of picks and then wide receiver for a long time. Once that value runs out, then there are some interesting guys, right? It depends a little bit on your league, but Moss has fallen sometimes. Dylan certainly falls. Evans falls. Uh, The player I know that you're grabbing everywhere, Bowden falls. And so I think then you want to try and start stockpiling those running backs again. There's no reason to take the wide receivers who are actually good prospects. So once you get past those guys, start stockpiling running backs. It's funny. You said a lot of good stuff there. And one thing kind of dawned on me, though, is you you mentioned the only time, generally speaking, a running back's value jumps is after year one. I think that's extremely true. And then I was sitting here thinking, like, think about Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, Juju Smith-Schuster is still extremely young. We talk about him a lot on the show. He's a Pittsburgh guy. He's Ryan's guy. But what if he were a running back? You know, comes in the league, has a couple really promising years, one down year. You couldn't sell him for anything. (laughs) You know what I mean? Definitely. It's a completely different scenario. And, you know, Pat Crane has done a pretty cool study uh, a while back looking at the trade values with our trade value calculator and, and that type of thing, which, you know, you're going to try and be careful about using trade calculators for your actual trades, but it's crazy to see how the trade value of players does move. And I think it's something where a 25 year old wide receiver has the same sort of trade value as a 23 year old running back in terms of how much they lose. Now they're going to be losing value very quickly, but those wide receivers can have a down season. The running backs can even have a good season. I mean, think about someone like a Leonard Fournette who was at the very top of the NFL in terms of expected points, underperformed that a little bit, maybe has some character issues. And I mean, good luck trying to get any kind of value out of him right now. It's just a very different dynamic between the two positions. 
Sean, let's move on to uh, we've we've talked about the spring startup drafts, rookie drafts that that generally take place uh, in that time period. Let's move on to the summer as as we're doing here today. We're recording this on on June first. The startup draft is over. What do you do post startup draft? I assume you're you're evaluating your own roster. You already talked about analyzing and evaluating your competition. What does that look like for you? I think it's it's always obviously a lot of fun to look at the different things people did to study your opponent's rosters and their draft tactics to get a feel for both what they think works because you can always uh, gain insights from what other talented people are doing. You get a feel for what their objectives are, which, which gives you an idea of where the trade opportunities you might be. You're also looking at your own roster and trying to figure out how you can make it better. And certainly I think you need to approach that with a sense of skepticism and humility, right? Because you drafted your own team off of your board. So it should look like the best team to you. If if you drafted your team off of your own board and it still doesn't look like the best team or one of the top two or three teams, then you know, there's probably some foundational issues that you need to address there. You need to know that drafting off of your own board is going to sort of overstate in your own mind how good your team is and then really work to make it better, regardless if you feel like you're in position to win a championship or not. Kind of kind of swerving away from that a little bit, more of a of an overarching question that is, I think, important in in team management and team building. Let's talk a little bit about player age. And you guys over at Rotoviz have obviously done a lot with this. Uh, you yourself and, and John Moore and many others uh, really kind of brought it into the, the forefront of how important player age is, especially in Dynasty League. So how much does player age come into account when you're evaluating players and evaluating your roster? And are there any certain thresholds you, you kind of abide by as far as buying or selling players? Yeah, so uh, there there are so many interesting things, I think, that come up with age. Uh, in the last several years, Blair Andrews has done a variety of series as well that, that really get into that. It's not that hard to look at it and see that younger players, when they start in the NFL, have better outcomes. And players who declare early for the draft have better outcomes. That's true almost across all positions. You also find that players break out earlier than a lot of dynasty owners realize. And so, you know, if you're taking a lot of rookies, those guys are actually likely to have some decent value in the second half of the rookie season. Certainly year two is a huge year for the jump and there's actual production. So you can get production from those guys. So we know from that perspective that we want to have some players on the younger range. The other side of that too, is that, you know, outside of the true stars, people tend to collapse earlier than the general community believes. And so you actually do have risk, a lot of risk holding on to people who are in the quote peak age group. And you can lose a lot of value there more quickly than you think. One of the other reasons, or the reason I think tactically to go very young in leagues is that it allows you to do two things simultaneously. You have the players, you have those young guys and you can play them, right? They're in your starting lineup for that period of time. But then once you finish playing them, they're still young enough to trade for a ton of value. So if you have 21 to 24-year-old players on your team, you sell them when they're 25, 26, you're selling into peak value trade years. And again, we know that trade value drops 
for almost everybody due to the fact that so many people collapse. But of the players who continue to sort of rise, who are in that sort of stud range, uh, you know, the first round guys, the second round guys, the third round guys in terms of startup value, when you're selling them 25, 26, we know a decent number of those guys are going to go on and have, you know, very good second half of their 20s careers. And because of that, they have a lot of stud trade value. You can trade those guys, you can reload, you can get a bunch of the young guys again, whom you can then play for a while and trade for a lot. So that's what I'm always looking to do is play these guys for a while, hopefully have them as stars, hopefully win titles with them, and then trade them before you've waited maybe one year too long. Sean, that is going to do it for for this episode. We're, we're going to stop the Matt, Matt warned us at the beginning. We've got so much great stuff. We're not done with yeah. you yet, though. Uh, so we've we've talked startup draft strategy, rookie draft strategy, and some general team management points. Uh, but on our next episode, we're we're going to get into even more with some heavy focus on trading. Uh, Sean, before we wrap up today, just tell our listeners where they can find your work. Rotoviz, the guys over there are doing a great job. Really impressed with the overall group. If not for me, go check out what they're doing. I, I think you'll like it. Absolutely. I totally agree. No doubt. Uh, thanks, Sean, for joining us. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint.